Howdy, and welcome to Talk to Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name's Brent, I'm here today with Chris. Hey. David. Hello. And TJ. Hello. And we are going to be talking about last week's homework, the 1940 film that won Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, now it's supposed to branch out and watch a Best Picture winner. Uh, Rebecca, the first American movie from Alfred Hitchcock. So, David, why don't you take us through the uh, plot synopsis of Rebecca? Before we get there, I just wanted to say... Oh, right. There's a, an interesting tidbit here. I don't really know if it's trivia, because it's not really written about uh, like in a lot of places. But when we assigned this, we kind of assigned it with a... And then we're just going to watch it. Uh, we're going to find it somehow. We think Brent has it, and we're going to pass the DVD around. Brent ended up not having it, and so we were like, oh shit, we need to assign a new movie. Uh, turns out, uh, this movie has fallen into the public domain. <laughs> so, I don't know what happened between Selznick Pictures and Alfred Hitchcock's estate, but uh, Alfred Hitchcock actually has a number of classic movies. Uh, not like, you know, The Birds and Psycho and the ones dialed in for murder. Like, none of his, like, super well-known ones, but... 13 of his, like, first movies are all available in the public domain. I don't know if that was a record-keeping thing or just, you know, part of a a mission to provide the arts to the public, um, let the copyright claims to those laps, but um, the most recent article I could find about it was 2014, uh, where they talked about kind of the whole shebang, and uh, at the time, Rebecca was not in the public domain. But now it is, so you can watch it on archive.org. If you want to pause this and haven't watched it, we're going to post about it before this goes up. But pause this, archive.org, totally legal, um, public domain. You can see Rebecca from 1940 there. Yeah, at some point the uh, public domain years went from like 50 to 75. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. Because I was like super excited about it. But So, yeah, that would have put it out, you know, 2015, I guess, not that long ago. Yeah. So, anyway, that was your interruption. And now back to David. Okay, here's the this. <clears throat> Um, so the, the movie starts off with, uh, Joan Fontaine is a naive young woman who is paid to be a, uh, friend of Mrs. Hopper. She's just, uh, some person <laughs> at, like, this, uh, it's not Monaco, but at some fancy dancy... Like Monte Carlo? Monte Carlo, that's yeah. right. They're at Monte Carlo. Um, hobnobbing with rich people, and she's there as a paid, uh, confidant, what do they call her? Uh, companion. She's yeah. a paid companion. Um, and uh, while she's there, she meets uh, a aristocratic widower, Maxime de Winter, who is uh, Laurence Olivier. And uh, he, she meets him where he's kind of looking over the cliff, kind of forlorn, and basically like, don't jump, dude. You know, we might get married, uh, and that's fulfilled. <laughs> they get married. Uh, it's, a, it's a whirlwind thing. They get married very, very quickly. Um, and uh, Mrs. Hop- Mrs. Van Hopper says, like, you're not ready for this. You know what you're going to be a part of, um, but he she's married and uh, keeps talking about he has this this uh, mansion, this estate called Mandalay. Um, you know he's wealthy because his house has a name. <laughs> yep, yep. So he takes his bride back there and uh, introduces her to the grounds, and it's a beautiful kind of uh, estate. And it is there. She meets the housekeeper, who is a little chilly, Mrs. Danvers. Mm-hmm. Um, was a very close uh, close friend of the former Miss De Winter, the titular Rebecca, mm-hmm. Rebecca De Winter, and she had uh, passed away. Um, 
come to find out that Mrs. Danvers was kind of obsessed with her. Um, she keeps Rebecca's bedroom suite completely unchanged. She says like she hasn't moved a thing. It's the exact same since uh, since the day she died. Um, so she's uh, so. Um, Joan Fontaine, the naive young woman, I think, they don't say her first name a lot, but it's Edith, maybe in some correspondence some or something. Miss De Winter. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know she was named. I'm pre- yeah, I got that from something. I think her, her name is Edith, but she's Mrs. De Winter throughout pretty much everything. Um, so she has constant reminders throughout the house. <clears throat> Kept all the monograms, all the embroidery, all has an R on it to constantly remind her of Rebecca. And uh, it, she kind of convinces herself that he's still in love with her. Um, and he has these irrational outbursts of anger, kind of, she thinks, processing trauma, being still in love with her. Um, one of the things she tries to do is to, uh, host, host a costume party at the place, uh, so she can show him that she's kind of, uh, an experienced, uh, wife that could do that kind of high society thing. Um, it does not go well, though, because... In trying to figure out what costume she's going to wear, Mrs. Danvers says, why don't you look at uh, this painting of Maxime's um, ancestor, but it turns out uh, he don't like it because she actually made him made her dress up as uh, Rebecca, <laughs> down to the exact same dress, the exact same um, makeup and hair and all that stuff, and uh, Maxime has a anger outburst at that. Um, the new Mrs. Winter confronts uh, Danvers about it, but uh, this is when Danvers says she could never take her place, and she's so the Mrs. Winter is kind of distraught, and she keeps uh, trying to get her to kill herself. <laughs> Spoiler alert! She's like, "Oh, you you need a draft. Let's open the windows, <clears throat> and you could jump. Yeah. You could yeah. just jump and like listen to the sea and the the, the water and sea is a constant, constant also a reminder. <clears throat> so." Um, we're pretty close after that. There is a uh, there's a lighthouse there, and something has run aground. Uh, when they're going down, they it's see just it. about to jump. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, just about to jump. Danvers is right there, and she sees Maxim and sees the uh, the lighthouse going off. Um, when they're looking at what's happening, they discover a sunken boat that has a body in it. And she confronts Maxim about it, said there's a body, and she says, oh, she was with somebody then. You have to figure out why. She's, and then he kind of lays out the entire, <laughs> his entire backstory. He finally strings together more than one sentence at a time. <laughs> and it's like a, a ten minute scene saying that uh, um, the body in the uh, family tomb is actually some random woman. And that is the real Rebecca down in the boat. And she never planned to fulfill marital vows. She kind of married him to get his estate and all that stuff. Even taunting him that she was going to have a, uh, you know, that she was pregnant with someone else's baby. And the house would uh, pass to him and the the baby instead of uh, Maxime and be out of his family line. So he, uh, this is all... This is all in just a scene of dialogue. He says he confesses to his wife that he uh, he hits her, and she uh, she struck her head and died right there. And to conceal the truth, he took her dead body onto a boat, which was uh, scuttled. So this is uh, right after this is there's kind of an investigation. <clears throat> They're trying trying to like you know they tell him it's just for show, old good boy. You know we'll play golf right after this. Right, <laughs> right after this traumatic thing. Get rich people brought up about your dead wife. Um, 
And uh, there's some other plots there. Uh, she's got a... Or Rebecca had a cousin that she was in love with. <clears throat> I think that's, that was her cousin. Um, I forgot his name. His first cousin? Yeah. It's a... Fable. Fable. Yeah. Fable. Yeah. Fable. <clears throat> and he's going to blackmail Maxim, but, she, but Maxim goes to the police to tell him about the uh, blackmail plot. And said that she saw his proof that she did not want to kill herself to the court is that um, she went to the doctor the morning of and wrote a letter to uh, Favel. But it turns out they go to the doctor that uh, she was not pregnant. She had a, uh, she, she had a, I guess, a stomach tumor or something like that. Or some kind of tumor. She had cancer. Cancer. <laughs> yeah. Deep in the bone, it said. Yep. That's right. Um... So, um, I don't know. That's the, then that's kind of it. As, as a free man, he's kind of coming home to see the new Mrs. Danvers, who's kind of asleep waiting up for him for the... Mrs. Kind of the, DeWinter. Yeah, Mrs. DeWinter for the trial to... Not the trial, but the little inquest to cease. Um, while he's driving back, uh, a completely deranged Mrs. Danvers sets fire to all of Mandalay that if... Um, it's going to be filled with happy people that aren't Rebecca, that she's going to destroy it, and uh, she does, so she follows through with that. And she dies in the house that she was obsessed with, you know. And the, like, the, the only, like, creepy horror scene in the movie is, like, her, like, face in the shadows at the very, very end. Well, this well, has also been talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's gauntlet it. Uh, gauntlet, Yeah. Um, well, was, uh, so this is a first time watch for all of you, right? Yes. 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 Uh, was the movie what you expected it to be? Was it entertaining? I expected nothing from it on purpose. I, I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was fun for the first, like, 20 minutes. I liked the characters in the beginning. The villains of this movie were really good. All three of them, really. Favel. Mrs. Davers, and then I really enjoyed uh, what's her name in the beginning, <clears throat> uh, the Van Hopper. Hopper. She was mm-hmm. great as yes. just a cunt. Sorry, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she what? What yes. was she? Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. if she's not that worked, she's pretty horrible. Yeah, she's bad. Um, and then it got to be a pretty big bore for me in like the second act. Um, I feel like a lot of Hitchcock movies do this thing where like there's an event and there's not an event for a while. But that event is either something like crazy, like a kid gets killed by some birds, or somebody dies in the shower, or something crazy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of lingers with you enough to get the other one, but this one was just like Miss Danvers staring at you like somebody menacingly. Um, and then I thought the last act was highly entertaining. Pretty much like from the courtroom on, was great. That's like the last 30 minutes, I guess, mm-hmm. of the movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was entertained enough. Outside of that middle third, kind of. Yeah, I, I brought nothing to this. Also, having seen, you know, probably the fewest number of Hitchcock films of the group, <clears throat> so I didn't have any Hitchcock bias or anti-bias coming in. Um, but similarly, I really liked Act One, which is a summer romance movie, like Rebecca, the summer romance, kind of, you know, lighthearted love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really like the... Whatever you call most of the shit at the middle hour and twenty minutes, kind of drug a little bit. Um, where it's just like a a drama of a spurned lover 
and an eccentric, wealthy man. Uh, <clears throat> or I, I guess there's criticism with uh, the production company, David Selznick, the, also the producer, who this was kind of the movie that he would write all the time, which is a, uh, a ghost love story. Which wasn't like ghost, like spooky, but like it was always somebody who was attached to somebody who died. Mm-hmm. Like that part, I found it in- incredibly boring. And then I really liked the police procedural, Rebecca, of the last half hour. Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> I guess I did bring a bias to it in that I only knew that I shouldn't expect a regular Hitchcock uh, suspense thriller. Right. I knew this one was the most different from the rest of his. Canon, um, it's the one that finally, or I guess only one that won Best Picture. So I knew. Only thing I knew about it is that it was a lot different from his other movies. Yeah, I think it's the most different out of like the canon moving forward, especially. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, there's some early stuff that I've seen that's doesn't even look like mm-hmm. Hitchcock. They're just like straight up like rom coms, kind of almost. Yeah, but. I had to look up the kind of movie it is because I kind of like this wavelength of movie, the gothic romance. I like the the gothic elements. The, the you know it does drag, but I think it does a good job of uh, portraying not like lethal dread, but like I guess the dread of unhappiness or like lack of escape. Um, I kind of enjoyed that part, and I really was man was I fascinated by Mrs. Danvers. Um, great. Not to jump jump categories, but I thought she was a fascinating character. Every time she was on screen, yeah. I thought even if it was just something like she was, you know, adjusting a comb so that it's in the exact right place. You right. Know, I thought it, I thought she did a great job. So I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty entertained by it. Yeah, I I will say that she was the light and the darkness of the morass of the middle section of the movie for me. Yes. What's weird is that I have a complete opposite reaction to the second two-thirds of the movie than y'all, which mm-hmm. is, I think the movie builds and builds and builds for me up until Maxim tells her what happened mm-hmm. on that fateful night, and then the inquest, and it's to me it's just more of a slog to get through the inquest and the doctor scene to the end. So um, do you not? So I, I like the Manderley stuff better than the yeah, because always. So are you not like infatuated with the mystery of what actually happened? Because you can't know until maybe coming. This is my third watch. Uh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I can see how you, you might have more appreciation for that. Yeah. For like the drama. Any, any movie that has a reveal is going to be more boring the second time you watch it. Right. And for me, what I enjoyed more uh, was the the looming obsession with Rebecca mm-hmm. and the almost. You see through Danvers' act where she's telling, uh, where she's telling her like, "Oh, he won't like that if, if you like, you will never live up to Rebecca for him." Mm-hmm. When the whole time it's for her, for her. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, the uh, so actually the reason I was kind of arguing with you in the synopsis, David, was because uh, I was pretty sure she is not named in the movie. And because that was something that I took away from the movie, which is like, she is almost like a, like this specter of Rebecca is almost like an existential threat to her, where Mm -hmm. she has like, she has no name in the movie until she gets the last name, until her name is Rebecca's name. She's unnamed in the book, I know. She's unnamed, and I was reading that that, uh, she was unnamed in the movie too. I also listened, because I was trying to catch her name at the beginning, because I never could remember what her name was. (laughs) Mm-hmm. For good reason. I thought I thought it was on correspondence that she wrote to 
Maxime, but maybe okay, like early on. I think it's visual, but I could have been mistaking okay. that. That makes sense. Why I was didn't catch that? Um, but I think it's a point that she is never referred to by her name. Sure, and you hear instead the name Rebecca. Over and over and over. As many again. times as uh, Edith is, me. Edith is Miss Van Hopper. Oh yeah, that was yeah because she writes the letter to yeah. him. Sorry, I missed you, old oh, boy. Yeah, right. Yeah. My bad. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah, she, she has no. She yeah, has I mean, it's no definitely name. on point. I feel like most yeah. lead characters without names are probably not, you know, for a reason. Right. Yeah. So. Like um, so yeah, that's what? that's probably what I. That's, that's probably what I. Yeah, she she was also Mrs. Danvers. Yeah. His but, name is Edith. <laughs> Fight Club. His name is Edith the Winter. His name is Edith the Winter. But yeah, I, I like the I like the first part leading up to Maxim's confession. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's a like long foreplay to kind of figure out something is off and you don't know what. Until you know that finally you get the release, <laughs> but it, to me it's to me that's it's different too than his next movie he made, which is Suspicion, because mm-hmm. that has a similar vibe to it, which is there's a mystery yeah. behind it's a whirlwind romance and a mystery behind what happened to his previous romance, mm-hmm. and but that movie is all about the new bride being suspicious of like thinking that she has married a killer. Mm-hmm. Is an aptly named movie, but this one I like that there. I like that she just remains in love with him, and that it doesn't turn that what would I feel like become a familiar Hitchcock direction of mistrusting him. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think she may mistrust his love, but she never falls out of love with him. Like she, she does kind of a similar thing, which in hindsight you realize why it's so upsetting to him. It's like I can just be your wife; you don't have to do anything. Yeah. So that's essentially what Rebecca did, but with a more sinister bent on it. And like, I, I'm not going to be your real wife. Also, like the final reveal, what it means for what happened earlier in the movie, which is you're you're you spend the whole movie thinking that he's still just in love with Rebecca, mm-hmm. the way everyone's in love with Rebecca, but then you find out that. Why he doesn't want to be constantly reminded of Rebecca is because he really does not want the past to be dredged up. Yep. <clears throat> not um, to prolong did you enjoy it, but I think that's a great twist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the twist within the twist of that's what happened, and this has been his motivation the whole time. <laughs> so, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Also, I know this ain't bookie book, but uh, apparently the one difference is that in the book, he kills her. He kills Shoots Rebecca. Her. And so. A very important reason why is because the Hayes Commission, who was censoring movies at the time, said you can't have somebody kill their wife in the movie. And then, and they also kind of pushed for uh, the the burning of they they wanted uh, Maxman to be punished too. So the burning of the mayor is partly that as well. Did you? Uh, what about the characters? Did you find them compelling? I did in the beginning, um, especially with the, the two leads. Not as compelling later. There was some good character arc, I thought, with um, Jim Fontaine's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of when she had to like stop being naive. Um, uh, when she starts ordering things around in the house. Yeah, she still seemed kind of aloof at times, which is weird. Like there were times like, but after that, she fainted. So I was like, 
it didn't feel like a, a hard turn for me, like mm-hmm. I kind of wanted it to be. Um, but again, I think the the villains are great. Um, obviously, Judith Anderson was fantastic as Mrs. Danvers, mm-hmm. but George Sanders as the cousin, as Fable, was fucking great in mm-hmm. that court scene. His first big scene, which is the complete asshole, and he did it so well. He gets me through the court scene. I think and he's great in, in the yeah. car too. <clears throat> Kind of just laying out oh, what yeah. it is and eating their lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, we're going to have a picnic. <clears throat> what an ass. <clears throat> I liked her. I like her in the it's movie. It's funny like, he gets you through the court scene because I feel like he's like 95% of the court scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I guess he's it, like the only one talking. Kind I of. guess he has the pivotal, yeah. like, uh, new information or supposed right. new information. Um, right. I like her arc a lot. I, I don't think I care as much about Maxim in this movie as I do her and Mrs. Danvers. So I think, I think I hate just calling her her, but not Rebecca. Right. <laughs> is what I will call her. The second Mrs. DeWinter. Anti-Rebecca. Don't keep yeah. calling her Miss Danvers. <laughs> it's freaking me out. <laughs> did I do that? You did it and then you just did it. No, I said her and Mrs. Danvers. Oh, okay. So just I did it. Yeah, just you. <laughs> just David. Sorry, Brant. <laughs> I did. I did like. Uh, I think Laurence Olivier does a good uh, mysterious brood, like brooding, and you don't know why. That's pretty good. And I like that. Uh, there's kind of there's violence tied up in this. That he has these these outbursts that he can't control, and that's a part of the courtroom scene. Is you know keep your keep your anger to at bay and all that. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a courtroom. It's an official inquest by the police. Yeah. yeah. So, which is really funny because there's the lead investigator, once they've reopened the inquest, he's like, so was everything between you and uh, the first Mrs. Danvers, like, did you guys ever fight? And he goes, oh, no, I can't. Like, he, like <laughs> his head shoots up to the roof, like, Ugh. The guy, like, repeats the question, like, you don't have to fucking wait for his answer. You have it. <laughs> yeah. Like, clearly things weren't good between the two right. of them. I can see why he was dreading this so much. He's yeah. really bad at keeping his composure yeah. in an inquiry. And when you know about it, some of it makes sense. Yeah, I've been staring at that. Yeah. Some the of it makes sense because he's he's not traumatized by this lost love, but traumatized by keeping this secret. And he's not, he's not a, uh, I guess, big enough person to sit on top of something like that. He's kind of bursting at the seams. I like that part of his character, but he's a little shallow. But I kind of like it. He gives room for... I mean, in 1940, it's basically a story of battle of wills between two female, two females, females. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's pretty. Um, I don't know if it's progressive, but uh, um, entertaining because there's a lot of stories about men in this time period. True. Yeah. Is there a scene that stands out to you? My. Go ahead. <laughs> My fa- my favorite scene is probably Danvers revealing, uh, um, like opening the the window and talking about the sea after the uh, costume party. Yeah. Um, basically, because I'm a big Danvers fan and Judith Anderson fan in this movie, it's basically her her Oscar showcase right there. <clears throat> yeah. The way that she flows through the room like she's another ghost of the house mm-hmm. and just like whispering these things to drive her mad. I think that's a very uh, very effective scene. That's that's what I really liked about it is that it, it very much was the the embodiment of the unseen hand that you normally get like late in a thriller where she's just like just doesn't give a shit and like thinks basically thinks that she's won the moment and but for the boat crash probably does um, where she's like trying to like this this is like the final 
the final move for her, apart from burning down the estate, of trying to convince the new Mrs. DeWinters to kill herself. So I, I really like that scene. I also like how in control she is for like a deranged villain. It's just she very calmly just keeps repeating like, why don't you? Why don't you? Yeah. It would be so <clears throat> easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue with that. I also think the scene at the end, I don't know how he did it with like practical effects or whatever, but the fire scene I thought was really, yeah, really I was, well Yeah, I was done. thinking yeah. that too. Oh, the collapse of the beams down on and the just the camera, camera being like in it. Yeah. yeah I was like, I how did he do this? <laughs> I noticed that too. I was like, there's like a cameraman probably. But <laughs> I mean, the camera, that would work in a room of fire. I mean, like, especially the film they were shooting yeah, on. Yeah, like it's like highly flammable. True. It's like an old like... George Melier thing is like they, it's like foregrounded fire superimposed over like Maybe. another shot yeah. of like you know three quarters of a room being set on fire. But then I watched the last forty five minutes today. Uh, rewatched the last forty five minutes and uh, I did it in better light and on my phone and I was watching it real close and you could like see a hint of a smile on her face, which was super fucking yeah. creepy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right before everything collapses on her, yeah. Um, I was gonna pick the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hard to argue with the suicide scene. That was the attempted... The two Danvers. Attempted murder. Yeah, Yeah, she's the standout in this movie, and it's not even close for me. The other one that's great is her uh, revealing Rebecca's room for the first time. Just how, like... it's it's a it's a nice house, but it never feels as open as that that room. That room feels like huge. Yeah, and that room's so nice, and mm-hmm. they stick uh, the new not Rebecca into this like just normal room. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a fine room, but yeah. and then she's like, "This was Rebecca's room, and it's just gorgeous with like multiple levels of ceiling or of uh, windows yeah. and whatnot, letting the light in." Um. Well, we kind of got into the performances there. Uh, we all picking Danvers for gold medal here? I, yeah. I think I would. Um, yeah, and I'd pick uh, the cousin for Fobble. Silver. Fobble. Yeah. 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 I'm going Fontaine. I like, I really like John Fontaine in this movie. I uh, was reading about the casting, which, I mean, this was Hitchcock's first movie in the U.S., and it, he was working with Selznick, who was a huge name, obviously, mm-hmm. at the time. Right. Coming off... Uh, didn't he do Gone with the Wind? He was in the he was he was in the middle of prepping the premiere of Gone with the Wind while this was in production. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so he uh, apparently they they went through all these bigger names uh, as possible uh, choices for the role, and they uh, kind of just strung along John Fontaine very late. And uh, apparently she had a she had this feeling that of nervousness going into the set for Rebecca, which they thought was actually kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, man, people were mean back then. <laughs> but it was just like, they <laughs> they gave her the feeling of her character, to an extent, of <clears> her, <throat> her, yeah. her wondering if she's good enough to be in this movie. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's why her scenes, to me, really work early on, when she's legitimately wondering if she can hang with all this this new life. Yeah. Danvers kills it, but <clears throat> the movie kind of tees it up for her so she can just like eat scenery like all around her. The thing about Fontaine is you real you really got to do a lot to make uh, I think to make the audience really relate to you because you're a naive woman and you really I guess maybe don't deserve to be there other than Maxim kind of loves you or maybe he doesn't. So you got to really be an, on her side on this thing and she's kind of she is a full body character, but she's also kind of has 
a blank past you don't really know about. She talks about her father, but that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know. She's kind of she's kind of has to carry a lot f- to curry, I guess, the viewer's sympathy there, to, so that you care about her plight. And she's the anti Rebecca too. I mean, that's what Maxim's looking for. And mm-hmm. if Rebecca was this like larger than life person that just was, you know, everybody drawn to super magnetic. And I think that a big name over the top actress would have been wrong for that part. Someone with their, like a, a flair every time they're on like the screen. A, like a Joan Crawford. She cuts a big yes. figure. Yes. So be like, just kill her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <clears throat> Yeah, I don't guess I really sided for or pulled for ever. So I don't know if I was supposed to. I don't. I guess you didn't do a great job. You could have rooted for Danvers. <clears throat> Those are the only two options. <laughs> you just root for the house. No, I mean it's just like I'm just watching a story. I mean, like there's definitely movies where you don't root for anybody. Mm-hmm. Sure. She was just, you know. She kept making really dumb decisions, I feel like. So it was hard to be like... I feel like, if anything, it was to be like, oh, she's stupid. You know what I mean? Um, especially, like, falling for this guy who's kind of an asshole to her the whole time. I mean, I know it's 1940, but he's not, like, super nice. You know what I mean? I mean, Oliver... He's just like, I'll take you away. You don't have to work with her anymore. And she's like, great. So I kind of saw that as like, oh, she's trying to get into some kind of situation that's not the one she's in. And then, like, like, she runs into a fucking shed, and he's like, don't go down there. And she's like, I'll just run in this house real quick. It's like, you're an idiot. (laughs) I did like when, uh, just like as soon as they're, it's either when they're married or maybe as soon as they're engaged when he's like, great, we're engaged. Uh, You can go ahead and pour me some coffee. I'll take it with two sugars. Yeah, don't forget. Don't forget. (laughs) Same way I like my tea. I do like, you know, she does make mistakes. I do like most of the through line through her mistakes is... Uh, trusting people. And you get that in her naivete at the beginning. Except she doesn't trust him when he's like, don't go down there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she trusts that down there is okay. Yes. <laughs> but trusting Danvers, trusting, uh, I don't know, trusting her. She doesn't really trust Danvers either though, does she? He's like, let Danvers help you throw the party. And she's like, no, I don't want her involved. Yeah, but she does with the costume. It's like, oh, I guess somebody this is a peace offering. It's not Danvers. <clears throat> yeah, Danvers tells her to dress as uh, the There's another person helping her get ready. Yes, right. yes, yeah. That she helped That's her who she should have been trusting. Yeah. Yes. Literally anyone else in that house, <laughs> other than the person obsessed with the dead woman. There's one person not to trust in this house, and you picked it. <laughs> um, well, David, you're talking about, you like the uh, sort of the gothic feel. Did you... Did you like the set design of Manderley? I did, yeah. It felt uh, it felt like a house with history, which you need because it's a haunted house where you never see a ghost. So I think it does a good job of uh, showing that atmosphere. I like the... Uh, it's close to the sea, and you get constant reminder of uh, water. I think they do a great job with... Uh, the you know Something we talked about in The Favorite is like the lighting is, I think, great. Anytime, like, a dishonest person is talking, uh, just something I noticed is their face will always be partially in shadow. You see this a lot of, like, Danvers, where it's like, yeah, you can't see part of her face, the other part you can. Maxim, before he reveals what's going on. The uh, direction slash production design there. I also like the, like, there's just, in Rebecca's 
uh, room. There's a bunch of like gauzy curtains that are kind of going like like waves, and also like ethereal ghosts in there. I think it's uh, very effective to create that mood. You hit on something real cool, I think, with uh, that I haven't put together yet, but the haunted without being haunted vibe. Mm. It definitely reminded me of the others for some reason, that mansion, mm. and the Nicole Kidman horror movie, and, and the favorite's good too, but it's like these vast open spaces with no light, mm-hmm. and it's so like uh, like just foggy and overcast. I feel mm-hmm. I mean, it's a black and white film, so it's hard to say. Right. But, mm-hmm. It feels like that. It does feel very haunted. That's a cool, good point. It is. A, yeah, I was thinking while I was watching, I was like, this is a ghost movie without any ghost. Mm-hmm. It's like a haunted house movie, but without the actual paranormal stuff. It's just with one real crazy lady who has lots, way too much power. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like, also, anytime, <laughs> I feel like a check mark for me for like, is it a creepy house? Can be, if you can be looking out the window of the house, see something happening in another part of the house, and just be like, what room is that? Like, yeah. all right, that's creepy. <laughs> You've checked a creepy My least checklist. favorite production design element is when Maxim is giving his confession, and he's like, all oh, this stuff happened, and I hit her, and she fell here. Yeah. It's like a room with like a bunch of rope in the shit. <laughs> oh, that's the rope I didn't use to tie her up and bring her down to the boat. Spare rope. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Never made it to that room before. Or I would ask a question. She fell in our spare rope and tables room. <laughs> yeah, well, Hitchcock so, would make up for it later with his movie Rope. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Uh, how about the uh, How about this? The score was an original score. I assumed it was an original. Yeah, score. Yeah, um, boy, it was bouncy when it needed to be bouncy, and it, it was like a whimsical love affair score at the beginning. Yeah. And then just dreadful after that. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. It's, it's Franz Voxman who did the score. Yes. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> a wizard now, Franz. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, of uh, those involved with the movie, how how close does this come to a number one achievement? Let's start at the top. Let's start with, well, it's not Selznick's, because I think that's Gone with the Wind. And I guess back in this era, you kind of have to talk about producers yeah. more than you do now. There's a thing on Wikipedia is he liked to edit movies, being the head of a studio. He would go in and edit. I think Hitchcock filmed a bunch of stuff while he was busy, like with Gone with the Wind, specifically so he couldn't meddle with it. It but I think he still ended up editing part of the movie himself. It apparently took Selznick's wife coming in. He, he called her in and was like, Hey, I don't like how Hitchcock is shooting this movie. There's nothing to edit. Like, there's no extra B-roll. The long shots are exactly as long as he's, bo- he's storyboarded them for. Like, help me out. Is he insane? We never see the Carol Denver's character walk. Like, what is he doing? And then it was only after she saw the uh, the footage that Hitchcock had shot that she was like, don't worry, Dave, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I knew we'd have one. You did it first. What? One Carol Danvers. Oh, I was thinking nice. about it earlier. I was, I was like, oh. I was like, we're going to have one. I know. I was like, Brent, don't say Carol Danvers. Her name isn't Carol Danvers. Stop thinking about Captain America. God, Captain Marvel. <laughs> also well, America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, Hitchcock. Uh, it's. I don't think it's in my top tier of Hitchcock. Yeah, I wouldn't put it there either. It's, it's, it's such an outlier. It's not Vertigo. From what I've seen. It's so different. It's like not... It doesn't feel like a Hitchcock movie. If you would told me someone else directed it, I would have believed you. Like, 
Like it would not have struck me as Hitchcock as as it immediately recognizable as Hitchcock without knowing it. I think most of that's just the story though, and not the direction. The direction felt very Hitchcock to me. Yeah, direction very good, very yeah. purposeful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there are probably nine or ten, and I mean, this may be like the worst Hitchcock movie I've seen. I don't know. I've only seen, like I said, ten or so. Mm-hmm. But and it could stay at tenth. I'm not saying that, you know what I mean. I didn't dislike it at all. Enjoyed mm-hmm. the hell out of it. But I'm just a real big fan of his uh, like murder thrillers, <clears throat> and this is a lot more sedate and uh, open feeling than that. And it's not as experimental as some of his. Uh, I think his like masterworks like Psycho and Rear Window that are just like formally. Just you know, brilliant. So I'd, I, yeah, I'd probably put it near the bottom, but bottom of a you know bunch of classics, right? <clears throat> yeah, probably ahead of all the movies that we none of us have seen because they're just even like I saw the Thirty Nine Steps a year or so ago, which is a nineteen thirty five kind of rom com thriller film, kind of <laughs> like a Mister Mrs Smith type film, not the Hitchcock Mister Mrs Smith, but the other one. <laughs> um, and it was better, I think, <clears throat> but. Yeah, I think this is kind of on par with Suspicion for me, which is a, a solid second tier. Um, I like these. I like those two movies. I like Rebecca and Suspicion better than Psycho, personally. I've never really, after yeah. like two or three viewings, I've Psycho still feels uh, more... I respect Psycho for what it brought to filmmaking, but I don't love the movie all that much. Right. And I think it's like a masterpiece. So Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah. And this actually had the same, too, the one exposition at the end um, irritated me a little bit in Rebecca the same way it really irritates me in Psycho at the the very end of the movie. It's like, all right, let's explain the movie, which I think Hitchcock did a lot. It's one of his weaker points. Um, But I definitely don't think this is up there with Vertigo or Rear Window. Maybe above North by Northwest, only in the fact that that movie's... in my opinion, a little goofy. Um, the, you know, you remember the big set pieces, but some of it's just a little, uh, little hammy. Yeah, it's a little long too. It's probably ahead of this for me, but not by much. Um, what about the performers? How much Olivier have you seen? Where's Olivier? I've seen this in Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the same character. <laughs> if y'all don't know Hamlet well, I think I saw him in the Pride and Prejudice movie that he was in. He played Fitzwilliam Darcy. Mm. <laughs> Mr. Darcy. Mm. Mr. Darcy. Um, I mean, he's better at this than Hamlet. I don't think I'm going to end up, like, I could watch, I need to watch more of the catalog, but I don't think I'm going to end up being a huge Olivier fan. He's kind of boring, and I don't understand why he was nominated for Best Actor in both those movies, because it's like, ooh, he talked good. Like, that's what I feel like it is. It's yeah. just like, he's got a good voice for sound, and they didn't have movies that had voices a decade before this, you know what I mean? I completely agree. I think he's got a he's got a huge uh, legacy as he was like the greatest living actor of his generation, right? You know, more for hit. I think more on the stage and his Shakespearean stuff, which he filmed a lot of it, right? But I I from what I've seen, I haven't really been blown away. Maybe it's just like I don't know. In context, they've never seen someone shout before. <laughs> Right, it makes sense that he'd be great on stage. Like, mm-hmm. totally get that, but yeah, it's... It's a perfect place for overacting. I mean, greatest right. living actor is, like, hard to... Right. Uh, well, 
he doesn't live qualify up to. for that one. Well, I think uh, <laughs> think my favorite. Oh God, do you know what his last movie was? Sky Captain, Worlds of Tomorrow. Oh well, that's okay. It's archival I, saw, I saw that too. I saw that too. That's why I brought it up. But yeah, it's archival. I was footage. thinking. I was thinking that's one I've seen of him. Um, <laughs> I think his best performance I've seen remains Marathon Man. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. So he is a, a truly terrifying villain in that movie. Um, John Fontaine. This is all I really know. Yeah, I looked through her filmography. I didn't know much else. I've also seen Suspicion and oh, uh, that's right. He brought her back for Suspicion. Yeah, yeah. she won. The She's Oscar better here for Suspicion. Um, I can't remember anything else I've really seen her in. Yep, same. Good King Wenceslas, the TV movie. <laughs> By the way, I noticed that multiple people in this uh, in this movie wound up being villains in the Batman and Robin TV series. <laughs> uh, one of them played Mr. Freeze. Well, I mean, that's how you get guest actors who are hot at the moment into the Batman TV series. They're not going to be like Batman 2. Yeah. Um, true. What do you make of this, uh, I don't know where else to bring this up, where do you make of this movie being, uh, so like, you know the, the the thing with Hitchcock was that he was never really taken too seriously by critics until all the French New Wave people like latched onto him, like mm-hmm. Truffaut and all those guys, and just like praised him as the greatest American director, mm-hmm. and then he was reevaluated kind of in the 60s, um, but this movie won Best Picture at the Oscars, so... Was this was he well liked when he came over, and then were his other movies like Rear Window just seen as just like just entertainment, just like cheap entertainment, rather than the masterpieces we eventually saw them as? Well, this won Best Picture, but it and it was nominated for eleven, but it only won two. Best Picture, which is like a producer award, you know, sells net coming off of Gone with the Wind. Mm. It may be more love for that. True, Hitchcock is nominated only well. Not only it's it's a crowning it's a great achievement. He's nominated five times, never wins best director. Like he loses to John Ford uh, this year for Grapes of Wrath. So it's not like he he personally ever wins anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting because the the you know David O. Selznick went and found him, and he brought him to America. Mm-hmm. He's like responsible for Hitchcock having a career in the U.S. Yeah. Also, I mean, a lot of these movies that I think Hitchcock's iconic for aren't getting love until recently. I mean, like Psycho, Birds, Rear Window, these like true horror films, I mean, they still aren't getting nominated, really. You know what I mean? So I don't know that that was a Hitchcock thing as much as a genre he chose thing that just wasn't going to get critical acclaim. Even today, those kind of movies still don't have the heft of like... They're like just kind of... Biopic. They're just starting to kind of... Like, in 2019, you know, (laughs) 80 years later... So, I don't think that that's a slide on Hitchcock as much as people didn't, they saw scary movies and were like, no, nah, that's, yeah. that's something new, that that's not what we're doing. Yeah, even branching out espionage movies and stuff like that, that's still a genre fair. Right. It's like, you know, fun stuff or, you know, something you take your, your, your date to. Yeah, we like drama movies, we like war movies, and the occasional musical, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this movie a hit at the time? Yeah. Nice. I think it made a... Uh, I think made many flops. Yeah. <laughs> it, true. I, I think it... And I don't know the inflation percentages or whatever, but when it was released, it made uh, the equivalent of like a million dollars in the U.S. and Or two million dollars in the U.S. and a million dollars in the U.K. And its total gross 
on like a $1.6 million budget was a $6 million box office total. It was then re-released in 1945 after the war and got like an additional $460,000 bump in the UK. Yes. Which, which makes sense to re-release a Hitchcock film that you don't think people saw yeah. uh, after the war, right when Hitchcock is hitting like peak production. Mm-hmm. It was popular enough, you know, this is very... Uh common at the time for big movies is they would have radio plays based on Mm -hmm. it and stage productions that would be televised also based on it sometimes with the characters reprising their roles yeah i think that was the big push to re-release it in 45 was in like right in 44 45 they had just cast a broadway play um not a broadway play but not a broadway musical but a broadway play yeah Mm um made a bunch of money especially for the time uh, it makes sense also, uh, I was t- we were talking earlier, you know, this this book was read by everybody. Uh, the Daphne du Maurier original was just like, it was... It, a bestseller? It was a bestseller. Um, I think it came out in 38, so this was just, you know, buy it up, make it. Yeah. 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 Fun thing you can see in some old, old movie posters, like Peyton Place, is the poster will sometimes have the book. Like yeah. an image of the book with the title on it. It's like from the famous book comes this. Just things unthinkable oh, right. nowadays for someone. To right. Like, on the poster, it's like, this is from a book. Everybody would be like, boo. <laughs> nowadays, you can't buy a book without it having some actor emblazoned. I was going to say, yeah. Um, I have a vivid memory. It's a really weird movie book combo, but like the Waiting for XL book having the cast on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember this lady at the bookstore I was at being like, is this the book or is this some like movie bullshit because <laughs> I want to buy the book I, I bought the the bonfire of the vanities and it had Bruce Willis on it and I was like god what that got made into a movie and I looked in oh. and I was like oh that movie is apparently fucking terrible we own it it is awful <laughs> you ever been at a bookstore and you, you see like a, a book you recognize on like the clearance shelf and you're just like oh yeah maybe I'll maybe I'll buy that and then you pull it off and it's just got some dumbass actor from the 1990s on the cover and you're just like nah yeah. I'll wait <laughs> right. I'll, I'll wait, wait for a fine no cover thanks. I want a cool cover <laughs> yes I want something that's not <laughs> so I a googled potential rapist in, <laughs> I googled yeah. inflation calculator 6 million in 1940 would be a 100 million dollar 108 million dollars in 2019 yeah, yeah so that's like the one point two, well, one point three million at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Correlates to about eighteen million, yeah, making yeah, hundred million, a big hit, and that's like the the borderline for like a successful yep. movie, especially awards movies, hundred million dollars. Yeah, well, it makes sense. You slap from you know Selznick's name and a and bestseller. Yeah, so probably um, Lawrence Olivier too <clears throat> helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you think this movie was influential in any way? I don't know how to answer that really. Well, I mean it's. It got Hitchcock into the states and uh, matched him up with like the producer of the time. I mean, well, it's true. Yeah, uh, he's a hit maker after this, right? Does he work with James Stewart in Rear Window without having stateside success? You know, maybe not. Right. His access to high profile people in these genre movies. He made a movie with Olivier that got him nominated again. It was the best picture nom. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a director too that I put up there with like John Ford and Spielberg and Tarantino and. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's a top five all time. So, I think this is the first movie on this list. I mean, I set out to watch as much Hitchcock as, as, much Hitchcock as I could when Filmstruck was heading away. And uh, I watched a few before this, but I think the only one I'd probably heard of was The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, <clears throat> and then after this, I mean, God, we know most of those movies. You know what I mean? 
or at least heard of him. I think I've seen one of his British movies, and I think it's uh, it's um, something that happens on a train. Um, Strangers on a train. That's later. Van- vanish. Uh, the lady vanishes. The lady vanishes. I've seen that. That's a pretty good movie. It's kind of a comedy. Um, That's how Thirty Nine Steps was, which was just before the Lady Vanishes. It's like a mystery comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of almost Shakespearean. You have the the comedy for some people and the, the thrillers for others. And that's another thing that I think Rebecca does lack, which is uh, even in his later movies, he would have moments of humor here and there. Like even the Jimmy, even the more like the like Vertigo and Rear Window, I feel like have moments at least where Jimmy Stewart's character gets teased or you know there's just some minor humor to it and this did not have any it had it, really. in the, it had it in the beginning well true yeah the, her boss yeah. and I'll only say that I do love the dry British wit of Fable I think it, at a point where the movie's pretty stuffy he kind of airs it out by being this uh, yeah. yeah he has some, some <clears throat> good little witty shit jokes yeah very charismatic little can, shit can stir. I get you anything else he's like yes uh, Mr. Dovinter Do- needs a sedative yeah <laughs> after he gets <laughs> Punched in the face. Yeah, that sound was not matched up on my YouTube video. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and the, the like his arm swings, his head moves back, and three seconds later, here pop. <laughs> I do want to bring something up for the legacy of this movie that I think is important, and it's the other Academy Award that it won that we haven't really spent as much time talking about. Is that it won Best Cinematography, um, uh, which black and white, black, black and white <laughs> cinematography. Um, you know, the guy, George Barnes, whose name I'm cheating and looking at now, um, and pretending to know, you know, he's like, you are the cinematographer for Hitchcock. You're doing all the lighting, you're filming the like miniature burning down of the Manderley. Like that is, I mean, the guy is buried in the Hollywood forever cemetery. Um, and it's just like, I think that, that, that is something that people point to about this movie that stands the test of time. Um, in reading reviews on Letterboxd, wondering uh, why my review was so different, that was the thing, by and large, that people pointed out about this, um, was the cinematography, was the way it was shot. Um, I think it's very, uh, probably in ways we don't understand, very influential. Because it's pretty experimental, too. Mm-hmm. In 1940, you have a POV wandering dream shot where you're, where you're kind of going through Mandalay, yeah. and like the fog is rolling in, like th- almost through the house, is very. Uh, I hadn't really to start seen anything. Too. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's your opening thing. It's like the dream of Mandalay, and the first person perspective is pretty cool. There's there's a quote on his wiki page, which is uh, citation needed, so I don't know who it's attributed to, but it's uh, his photographic interpretation of Rebecca is the sort of thing to which his fellow cinematographers may point. As indeed they did in bestowing upon it the industry's premier award as a complete example of what truly great cam- camera work can mean to a production. I don't know. That's, That's pretty happened. influential. <laughs> Seems yeah. like. I mean, he 142 movies in the span of about like 30 years. Starting with 1918's Viva la France. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he worked with Cecil B. DeMille. I mean, like huge names. Eight, Wait, got this guy. Eight nominations for Best Cinematography. Yeah. Black and White. <laughs> I mean, it's a different. If it's it's a different skill to shoot black right, and white. Sure, right. The cinematographer for the artist may not have the same, uh, you know, ability as someone who shoots a movie like Gravity. Like it's it's a different world, and that's just saying that it was one out of necessity in 1918. But you know, 
There were there was Technicolor that was available in 1940. He never made a choice to make this movie in black and white. Yeah, and he went into the 50s and never shot in color. Yeah, I mean Hitchcock was still making a choice of making black and white movies late in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cinematography was very good in this movie. It's it was. I, I guess I underestimate how difficult it is to shoot in black and white, and you know how. Mm. How much you have to really work the lighting and and, and whatnot. Yeah. It's that's, like one arm tied behind your back. Yeah, that's yeah. your only. That's your main paintbrush, right? Is your your, your grayscale and your light. Uh, any issues with how the movie aged? I mean, it feels like an old movie. Feels like a classic movie. Yeah, nothing. Than, you know, no beef than any other movie that right. was made. Then there was like there's a point in the in the movie where uh, they're 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 talking and they have that like old accent that old movie that classic movie accent yeah and uh and I was like man was like the point of movies just to just show you how the rich people lived back in the day because I feel like there's so many movies like this just in like super nice houses and with with people talking like I could never talk because I'm from the hills yeah <laughs> and also stuff like Hey, Maxim, I've got a thought. Well, why would you go and do a thing like that? Yeah. Stuff like that. And right. just kind of constantly deriding her as like a woman with opinion, which I don't necessarily believe that that was like a thrust of the movie to be like, but how much of a villain is Maxim to her? It's like, no, this isn't... We know when he's having one of his trademark outbursts. Right. Where he's like freaking out at her, and it's not when he's just like calling her a moron, just on the reg. Yeah. That doesn't need particularly That's, that's well. loving husband material yeah, in 1940. Yeah. He's completely over his old woman punching face. <laughs> yeah. Um. That he can be like, we had a heated argument and she fell and broke her head and the cops were like, yep, suicide. Yeah. <laughs> Is this movie The Great Wall? But well, could it be? That's not anymore. That's true. We have a new question. I boycott that question. Is this movie The Green Wall? <laughs> is this movie Green Book? Is this movie The Green Monster? The Green Mile. This movie is better than Green Book. Yes, I think this, this movie is definitely better than Green Book. I would couldn't cure, old boy. I think it's better than Green Book, but I think I enjoy Green Book more. Uh-huh. It, it, is, it is one star better than Green Book for me, according to Letterboxd. <laughs> Did I assign it to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's your oracle. No, it's just how the ratings work. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, but you, you talk about it like it's a process that is like endemic. That it's like nothing that you have control over. You're like, well... I mean, I can't control how that rate movies on Letterboxd. That's true. <laughs> Wait, you totally can. Wait, what? <laughs> you could give somebody a one star if you wanted. <laughs> You're allowed, TJ. Yeah, it is one star better according to Letterbox ratings that right. I provide for Letterbox. I can't be like, it's four and a half popcorns <laughs> on Letterbox because it won't let me. <laughs> well, as opposed to like two stars better or one star less. Yeah. There's <laughs> according a, to my Letterbox, it is one star yeah. better. There's a there's a funny thing where when people will rate stuff, the people who like me who you just used to be like just like rabid and angry about the fact that they have to rate things, yeah. they'll write their own rating in. So I saw someone because I was like, who else is rating this like me? And someone was like, X out of twenty stars. And it's like, what are you doing? You've got five available, and there's like tanks and those. Yeah. yeah, they're not. The stars aren't there to like box you in. They're there to just like help you rem- like. I literally didn't use them for a year and a half, yeah. and I still log shit on there, and I still remember if I liked the movie or not. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't want to use them, just don't. Just don't. Just don't. Or do. It's not a big deal. 
Also, like some, yeah, I've seen some try to rate them like <laughs> out of like they'll rate it like a on a finite scale out of a hundred. They'll be like, "This is a seventy-nine out of a hundred. I'm like, "What a precise <laughs> system you have! That's really impressive." I have trouble sometimes telling the difference between a three-star movie and a three and a half-star right, movie. Right, and I just, I, I've been building my best pictures that I've seen this year as a list, and I, I've ordered the list. As I add something, I put it where I think it is between the movies. Mm-hmm. And I realized while you guys were doing the plot synopsis that I hadn't actually starred the movies. So I went through and I gave them all star ratings. Then I sorted by star rating. Completely different. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. We have a consensus. This is better than Green Book. All right. There's only one thing left to do, I think. And that's a vote. I would like to start with David on the vote. Okay. Opening shot. I'm going to vote in a manner of my choosing. Don't <laughs> uh, box yourself in. Letterbox, Letterbox has already supplied my vote for me. They are forcing me to vote in a certain way. <laughs> I filed a complaint, but they told me what it should be rated. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I really like... Uh, it makes me want to search out more gothic romance stuff, because I really like the wavelength the movie's on. Love the atmosphere. Uh, really fell in love with the direction. <clears throat> very, like any Hitchcock, very purposeful. Like, m- any composition that's that's done there and the way it's laid out and the cinematography. And I think it's uh, pretty interesting in context to in 1940 that this, uh, you know, this story about kind of a woman overcoming someone's shadow, I guess, and a living ghost that kind of torments her. I'm gonna, so I'm going to say yes. Nice. Yeah. All right. We, we've got a vote. Let's hear from TJ. This is a tough one. Uh, probably the closest I've been to like, being on the cusp of voting, you know, of that line. Um, maybe since our first one was really close on the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to follow the same way I did with the Matrix and go no on this. Uh, mainly just because of, uh, I got bored for a little too long. Um, it wasn't... The pacing felt off for the middle hour of that film to me. and uh, The boredom wasn't exquisite to you? <laughs> no. And uh, David kind of saved my yes vote on the only other film that I voted on that bored me. And I voted yes on that, and that was Metropolis. Um, definitely glad that movie's not in, is the way I'm looking at the talk of fame now. So I appreciate that, David and Chris. That's <laughs> <laughs> what um, But it's really damn good. Um Again, I think the the villains are great, especially um, Anderson. Is that her name? Yeah, Judith Anderson. Yeah, but Danvers, especially I think number th- like thirty or thirty one on the AFI's top fifty villains of all time list, um, which is cool. I never even heard of Mrs. Danvers before, and I neither. Instantly iconic for me. Yeah. Um, so a very soft no for me, Chris. I know we we're gonna go to you, Brent. I feel like you were you skipped me over for TJ because you thought that uh, I was pretty obvious here. Uh, I'm I'm a no. I, I I'm having a hard time. This is like for me the equivalent of going to a restaurant and everyone telling you this chef is phenomenal and you should and he's won three Michelin stars and he makes this great food and you order and there's no menu and you get it and it's a plate of food you just don't fucking like. It's just like, for me, it's like mushrooms and eggplant. And it's just like, I don't want that. And I get that you're like great at your craft. And I just like, it. I detest it to such a like a core level. 
that to me as a 50 minute short story that cuts out all the middle piece at Mandalay, which I feel is just unnecessary, which is probably better read than shown that should have remained in the book and not on the screen at a two hour and five minute runtime that I would appreciate it more. Um, but the, the the dressing aside, you know, I love the cinematography. It's really cool. I, I like seeing, you know, especially someone who's like the the um, the the luddite of the crew with you know, well, kind of reverse luddite with with classic movies where I'm just like I just don't have the tolerance or patience for them when they are a classic movie that is obviously a classic. Because it executes so well at being a good classic movie, I don't have time or patience for that. Not because I'm more important than people who like this movie, but because I just don't think that they're for me anymore. It's um, yeah. and I missed a window to appreciate this. And maybe when I'm you know reminiscing about Pacific Rim when I'm 80 years old, people will look at me like I'm a moron. <clears throat> I think it's probably. I mean, you, you've encountered them, but classic films that are your bag. But maybe ones that are more ahead of their time or more forward leaning than entrenched in the current time period. This is very a very nineteen forty movie. Yeah, um, I do like your analogy, <laughs> like someone's giving you mushroom and eggplant, so you can see how someone would appreciate it. But Absolutely, it's just completely not your bag. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, probably the closest to the line that I've had as far as a vote, and. Uh, it's a no for me. It's a no. It's a, I really enjoy this movie. I think I would heartily recommend this movie to people if they identified an interest in the, in certain types of movies. Uh, but I don't feel like this alone makes it a must see. To me, it's not a must see movie regardless. And that's kind of the, the baseline for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I can get there with it. I think it's too. I did look for the first time and I was like, do I want, I was looking at Hitchcock's filmography before y'all came over here. And I was like, there's like eight automatic yeses on here for me, right? Um, and I don't know if I want to go past that. Really, I mean, that, that was just not, nothing I really thought hard on. But I was like, let's make sure that he because I feel I feel like he needs to be represented. And I looked and I was like, well, he would be represented if we do this for a hundred more years. Well, He's going to have tons of movies in here. Well, like Brent, to like to to pull your reasoning out a little bit with TJ's. If you knew someone was a big Hitchcock fan and hadn't seen Rebecca, would oh. you say? You yeah. definitely have to see this. Yes, because Which is what why would you recommend it? Would you see it? Would you recommend it as a check out this movie? This is very unHitchcock of him, but it's still great. It's it's a very good movie. That's not that's a little different from what you've seen. So yeah, okay, yes. But I think I still. I mean, I know I've said this on so a broken record. Most of that's the plot and not what Hitchcock does. I don't think <laughs> it's a it's a weird Hitchcock movie for the things Hitchcock controls. Yeah. Well, part of the direction, you know, from your no, just just trying to think about it, is is pacing. So the mm-hmm. stretch where you were completely bored would be on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just like it is at North by Northwest. But I mean, mm-hmm. I think the main shit. I, that's. I'm saying that's not what makes it a not Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is, that's yeah. 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 Not not a good movie or not. And, but, and outside mm-hmm. of that, the the peaks have to make the valleys worthwhile. And I don't think that this movie peaked well enough. That we pick a scene from the movie that is within the first hour and ten minutes in a two hour and ten minute movie is like hard when we get to the climax in the last like 15 minutes. And it's just like, okay. 
like that it doesn't make all of that lull pay off as as well for me as it would with something like even you know as derided as you know freshman year film class would be like Psycho, where a lot of that is yeah, that last much, hour is much more amplified and big in its peaks. I restarted the movie today at an hour and like five minutes, and it's right when the guy's talking about his cap and gown outfit mm-hmm. before the weird, like, again, one, one, that scene's weird. <laughs> but you pretty much get her in the bedroom with the incredible scene we all talked about loving. Yeah. Then you get Lawrence Olivier's confession, and then it's like Courthouse, Daughter's Office, back at Manderley, and that's the end of the movie. And that's half of the movie. It's just those five scenes. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. But it was a, it was a fun watch. It was a fun talk, for sure. Yeah. It's not a bad movie. Any Anything that, that, that we talk about here, if we spend an hour and five minutes talking about a movie, like it, there's there's certainly merit. Yeah. Um, and something not being the talk of fame, I mean, we all change what that means to us on a daily basis. Yep. Um, so... I don't think it's getting in, man. Sorry. No. Not enough that you were personally staked it because you voted no, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, don't, don't apologize. Yeah. Um, Is this another... David's had a couple of 1v3. I feel bad now. Uh, American At least Werewolf one in London. Is that the only other one? Them. Yeah. Um, I wanted to... Well, you I've, didn't, I've done a lot of offers. <laughs> you didn't You didn't pitch this. Oh, no. I mean, like, you being yeah. on the... You yeah. voting in and the rest of us voting no. Yeah. Well, next week... Let's talk about another Best Picture winner. Uh, I picked this one because my fiance was trying to name her new tattoo, <laughs> and she said it, and uh, it's it's within my vocabulary now, knowing things that are Best Picture winners after we created our Google Doc. She wanted to name her new tattoo Marty, and I went, hey, that hey, one hey, something. Yeah, hey, hey, we're going to watch an hour-long movie. How long is this movie? It's like in, I think it's just, maybe in... 110 minutes or something? The shortest Best Picture winner of all time. Or no, not oh, 110. Yeah. Like an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Nice. Hour yeah. 15. Well, this is... It's Marty, 1955 Best Picture winner. We could probably watch it before we record. Instead <laughs> 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 of talking talk. Uh, <laughs> it's available on Prime. So... Sweet. You, you can find it on Prime, and that's where it lives. This will be another blonde movie for me. I have no idea what Marty's about. Oh. Me neither. Has anyone seen it before? No. I have not. I've seen it. I'm interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know is this like John Turturro's favorite movie in Quiz Show, whatever that guy's name is, who just died. It's John Turturro died. One of the first movies. No, his name's not John Turturro in Quiz Show. What is that guy's Charles name? Charles Van Doren died, but that's not John Turturro. Uh, that's right. That's uh, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. <laughs> yeah, who is still John Turturro is the one who loses to Charles Van Doren. So just to be clear, Ray Fiennes, John Turturro, both alive and well. <laughs> Well, don't the guy make promises this is published in a week. <laughs> as of this recording, that's, that's true. I oh just, my god, I that would be weird. I just like that one of the characters in Marty is described as cranky, busybody widow. My favorite casting in uh, uh, Rebecca was uh, Ben the Beach Hermit. <laughs> I, I like Furch, the oldest butler. <laughs> Furch. <laughs> that's what I'm, Adam's family got. I really hope that his name is like. Furch Smith. It's like, why didn't we name a kid Furch? We don't care if it's your granddad's name. Don't do that to a kid. We got bullied a Butler stretch lately of like good movies with a horrible character like, names. Furch the winners on that name bracket <laughs> every year. First we had shag bags, and everyone knows who's a shag bag in the room. It's like a key and peel. Furch <laughs> shag bag. Uh, all right. 
That was Talkie Talk. Podcast for the media by us. Check out our Facebook groups. Check out our Twitter. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> and uh, please give us a rating and uh, subscribe to us on a podcatching app of your choice. Tap And uh, <laughs> thank you to the Willow Walkers. Willow Walkers. Thank you to Boo Reefa. And thank you to you, the listener. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Hashtag Birch. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things.